All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 135. It is Tuesday night. This is our opportunity to hear from you, and that's something we'd like to do. So if you'd like to talk about what's going on in college football as we're in the offseason, just go ahead and hit request. It's in the bottom left of the uh, the Twitter app, and we'll get you up here to talk about what's going on. Just got up a quick tweet just to let people know how to do that in case uh, they need a refresh. But I'd love to talk to you about whatever's going on. I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, we're getting closer to the NFL draft, although we're not a real NFL draft site. Um, certainly, that's something we're looking forward to covering. We're actually going to be sending a reporter to Kansas City, um, who's actually local, to be fair. And we're going to be having someone on the ground, so look out for some tweets about that next week. Obviously, a lot of things are going on. There are a couple of big transfer portal moves. There's a lot of other things going on. You know, I wanted to, again, if you'd like to join, just hit request. My name is Bob Akhairi here at RCFB. You know, one of the news items that it's starting with just kind of a cute one, and, and maybe it gets missed. And, and I think if this moves forward as they have planned, a lot more people are going to hear about it and kind of get into it. There's a campaign over at Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns, because they don't, surprisingly, they don't really have a mascot, apparently. I always assumed they had sort of like a chili pepper on the sideline or something, but apparently they don't. So there is this groundswell to name a new mascot and it is this i i gotta find the tweet for you but it is a albino white gator so with red eyes and he's got like a classic sort of um uh sweater on and he's got like the sailor cap and the best part is his name it's albino al Boudro, completely decked out in the faux cajun albino is instead of you know an o it's e-a-u-x and uh, Boudreaux is Boudreaux, so I mean it's already in the in the realm. So really leading into that that Cajun fandom. So I really hope they they get that going. It sounds like it's got a lot of momentum. Uh, Louisiana La Lafayette does not have a mascot, so if we get Albino Al Boudreaux, the uh, the Albino Alligator for them, I mean that's that's going to be delightful. So that's one of those lighter stories. I just had to toss it out there because as I was catching up with. The week that one absolutely jumped out to me again. If there's anything in college football you'd like to talk about, hit request and uh, we can have a discussion about it tonight. So, you know, another interesting story that I saw, at least coming out of one of the tweets, it's actually from one of the Michigan regions. And he points out something that I think a lot of fans, um, especially those who are, are passion fans of sports, like to point to and what the benefits are of college success either in in football or in basketball so regent jordan acker tweeted that like it or not academics can be boosted by good d1 sports at the association of governing boards conference one speaker complained that nick saban is the most famous person in academia but you know who isn't complaining about nick saban being famous the deans at alabama and i think a lot of folks have have written about that Alabama is doing so much better, at least in terms of, of applications, ever since they brought Nick Saban. I believe their president even said he was the best thing uh, that they ever did in terms of, of making a hire. I, I think of other classic examples of that. I mean, some of you may remember when George Mason, who obviously doesn't play football, but when they made the Final Four back in 2006, their admissions went up by 350% immediately after they did that. So sports has a habit of of actually kind of raising the uh, raising all ships when it comes to university, uh, you know, in that conversation about the, the Michigan benefit, there was a Cincinnati fan uh, slapped the base God 
He said, you know, it's with Cincinnati, their applications also went through the roof after their seasons. Um, and he, like some folks who've gone to some of these schools, says, you know, I'm not even sure if I could even get into Cincinnati now because their average ACT score went up from 22 to 27. Um, and again, you see that from other fan bases as well. TCU's admissions, um, Riff, who is a he has co-hosted this show many a time, but has had to take a bit of a family break. He uh, he's pointed out TCU's admission skyrocketed after that that famous Rose Bowl win against Wisconsin, and that was before they even joined the Big Twelve when they were still kind of a rising Mountain West team. So you see a lot of this. You know, I see we have someone who wants to join us. I'm going to go ahead and let up John Henry Woods. So John, when you get up here, just go ahead and holler. Oh, looks like hey, you how's got it you going, up. y'all? How are you? Doing well, doing well. I just want you to tell me how much you think Alabama is going to beat Texas by in week two. <laughs> you know, it's going to be interesting to see this because we've got two, you know, fresh-faced quarterbacks on both sides because obviously Sark named Quinn Evers the starter this week, and we're going to see how Alabama does now that Bryce Young is going to go into the draft. So that's always a bit of a quirk here. I mean, I want to say it's hard not to – to lean towards Alabama in, in any kind of matchup like this because it's just it's a machine. Nick Saban that defense is looking good this year. We're gonna get one of them defenses we had back in the day. I'm thinking absolutely, and I mean I think it's just gonna be reloading for Alabama because he's so good at recruiting that he can just he can just plug and play. You know, you're losing obviously some just you know complete studs with Will Anderson and and many of the and, and some others there. You know, like Brian Branch and, and all of them. But at the same time. You know, it's Alabama, it's Nick Saban. So when it comes to reloading, I would give Saban a bigger a bigger push. I mean, and and even Sark, I mean, this week Sark said that, you know, he, he I mean, obviously there, there's a lot of appreciation between uh, uh, at least Sark towards Nick Saban because of he saved his coaching career, as, as Sark even said this past week. But I think on the field, I'm going to lean towards Alabama just because it's it, – it, Going into that, uh, it's hard not to it's hard not to bet against uh, Nick Saban in, in reloading a team. I still, I mean, I think as a personally as a USC fan, I learned my lesson when they played in the in a week one game and and Alabama just completely sobered and humbled uh, <laughs> those Trojans. I remember. Yeah, oh yeah, I do I too. Well, thank you so much for your time and thanks so much for your time. Roll yeah, tight. good luck. Thanks for joining us. And again, if any of you'd like to join in and just give your thoughts about anything in college football, I'd love to hear from you. This is this is Tuesday night. It's the off season. We do about thirty minutes just talking college football and and taking a look at what's going on here. So yeah, as I was saying, just kind of going back to the previous topic, we're just talking about how schools like Alabama have boosted up so much because of on the field success and TCU. Um, learned from that Rose Bowl success back when they were a Mountain West team and has been absolutely leading in to advertising the uh, the sports aspect and kind of getting that name out because it helps with name recognition. I mean, I believe Tennessee, again, Tennessee is always an in-demand university. It's the flagship public university in the state of Tennessee, but their applications are already up 40% from last year. So, again, you see a lot of that kind of happening after a team does well on the field. So it's interesting to see some of these numbers out there as, as programs grow and get more success so yeah another again if you'd like to join us just go ahead and hit request another interesting topic that popped up in the last week was the ncaa's new rules on official visits so that's again recruiting starting july 1st there will be no limits 
on the amount of official visits a recruit can take. Now, there are a few um, uh, nuances to that. Prospects will still be limited to one official visit per school, unless there's a head coaching change, in which case they can go back again. But it means that school that that uh, potential player players can visit more schools, and it, it kind of again it opens up a little bit more along this theme we've seen of rights for players, starting with the transfer portal, followed with NIL, and opportunities for players to kind of get more um, out of their career, especially in a sport where your career can get cut short in a practice on the field. It's contact sport. Hey, Thack, you came up here. I'd love to hear from you, man. Hey, hey, how's it going, everybody? I hope everybody's having a wonderful Tuesday night. Bob, I just wondered uh, if you had gotten a chance to watch some spring, uh, some spring game college football, and uh, wondered uh, what thoughts you might have uh, taken away from some of those games. I have not had a chance to watch many of the spring games. I will completely and freely admit that I have, have been trying to catch up as best as I can on on you know RCFB, the Athletic, wherever I can grab a bit. But I got to ask you, Thack, how are you feeling about Mizzou? Uh, man, I, I, I'm indifferent. Um, it, it, it's uh, unfortunately for Drinkwitz, like, I kind of like the guy. Uh, it's not the make or break season, but you got to at least get to uh, seven wins here. Other, uh, If that's not going to happen, then um, then uh, he's going to have some serious explaining to do to the uh, the athletic director. Uh, the problem is it's just not a not a great target school for um, for for kids, and it never really was, but it hasn't been in in about a decade, and so uh, it, it's uh, kids just don't want to go to Columbia, and I don't blame them, man. It's when you can go uh, somewhere warm or somewhere where there's some better football going on. So uh, I don't know. I, I again, I think uh, I spoke a little bit on this yesterday. I think the SEC East is is uh, wide open this year. Um, with uh, with obviously some some big time levers on the normal top dogs, uh, so I think they'll have a decent shot. But honestly, I think I'm really high on the Gamecocks out of that division this year. I think it's going to be uh, I, I think it's going to be a bigger toss up than people are predicting. I, I don't think that Georgia's going to walk away super clean with it, and I don't think Tennessee is going to walk away clean with it at all. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's I feel all right. I, I mean. I feel a little bit better knowing, uh, and this pains me to say as a big college football fan, I feel a little bit better um, with the football team's meteorocracy uh, since the basketball team has uh, gotten a new head coach and basically turned that program around in in about a year. Uh, So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see uh, a couple takeaways from the the spring game. I mean, Quinn uh, Ewers obviously getting the start over uh, Arch Manning. I mean, uh, nobody saw that coming at all of course <laughs> uh, i i think ewers looked good um to be honest uh and then i didn't get a chance much of a chance to catch many uh spring football games but man i, I just want to know have you seen uh the espn fbi list and how much crack are they smoking over there or the comp- how much crack is the comp- espn fbi computer smoking with uh texas again very high at five, I believe. <laughs> you know, I think Texas has been building a program. I, I, I mean, I don't, you know, obviously breaking in a new quarterback, and, and I know, I mean, Quinn Ewers is, is, was, went up as expected to be the name starter, but 
I think they've got the talent to maybe to deliver some level of success. I don't know if top five is exactly where I would put them, but I think we're going to get a very quick benchmark test when they play Alabama early on. I think that's, I mean, we were just talking about that with the, with the last, uh, the last speaker. So, I mean, we'll give that, you know, and it looks like, by the way, uh, Dak, just give me a second. We got one other folk who wants to come up here and love to hear from you. Let's see. Evan G. I'm going to let you right up here because I want to get as many people an opportunity to talk as we have a Tuesday night chat. Um, when you get up here, Evan, just go ahead and hit on mute. We'd love to hear from you and what your thoughts are. And then I promise I'll get to the, to you. Um, can't wait till football season. I've just learned that the longer people wait on hold, the less likely I'll be able to actually hear them when they unmute. So Evan, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, how's it going guys? Um, I am an Iowa fan, big, big, uh, big 10 guy through and through, um, went to, went to Iowa, born and raised there. Um, Obviously, Iowa is known for um, defense. Clearly, we, we struggled to score on offense at all. Um, I, I was curious to hear thoughts on, you know, our offensive coordinator, um, Brian Ferentz, who is obviously Kirk Ferentz's son, was given, um, you know, his, his goals for the season where he, the Iowa Hawkeyes offense has to score 25 points a game. There, there were some other requirements in there for him to get certain compensation so I was wondering you know kind of what what you guys think of that is it is it just a total joke that you know Brian Ferris <laughs> is still the offensive coordinator here um it, it, it doesn't I mean to be honest with you it it certainly I would be lying if it hasn't been a uh, a source of amusement uh, at least it's an easy thing to go with now if the offense starts taking off I'm sure people will eventually stop that. But certainly the fact that it is, of course, uh, the son of the head coach and the offense has been so anemic and yet no changes have been made. I, it's hard not to, 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 to look at that, I mean, objectively, in yeah. addition to the humor of it. But that said, I found that contract really interesting. I mean, it got a lot of, of traction, I think, on every website, uh, let alone our CFE. Because, I mean, if it works, it works. But, I mean, it was – I'm sure you heard all the jokes about, wow, the offense of the entire season versus, you know, how Iowa did as a basketball team. You know, compare – Yeah. You know, it's like more – I forgot the Kate, – Caitlin Clark scores more points a game than, than the Iowa offense. Yeah, yeah I mean – Heard it all. <laughs> so, I mean, those kinds of jokes write themselves. But uh, that said, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it could be this is the sort of incentive that, that gets the offense moving. I'm still kind of curious to wonder how long, you know, how long Kirk for parents can 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 work with that. And I know every time people would sort of ask him about it, they would talk about, well, you know, the, because of the, the relationship between them, the administration has to have sort of a special setup so it doesn't look like it's um, – it's it, it's an uh for me an uh oh my gosh it's totally blanking but you know what I mean so they have to 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 create some some level of separation between the two of them but <sighs> yeah I mean you know one thing that's that's going to be different too is we had, had Petrus for the last two three years and Cade McNamara transferred from Michigan this year so he'll be our starter um, so I'm excited to see how you know that that could change the offense as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think that's going to be a key to see how they go. Cause I mean, he, he did well enough to get third team, all big 10. 
So he's not he's not a, a joker at the at the quarterback. So it would be interesting to see if they can develop some kind of offense because they have a, a the schedule isn't the easiest. I mean, they got to go at Penn State. They got you know the rest of it is is a bit at least the tougher games tend to be at home. Um, but that at Penn State is probably the one that's most alarming. Utah State is a decent. I mean, they got a decent opener. Obviously, the the Cyhawk class, the Cyhawk game, or Alaska, or however you want to call it. That's always no matter how those two teams are. You always kind of I love that game because you always have to roll the dice on on who's going to win. It's it's a beautiful true rivalry in that sense. But I mean, it's going to by the the game number four at Penn State. We're going to find out real quick how how much has has happened at. uh, at Iowa, because the, the, those Nittany Lions have finally started to, I think, get the respect that they uh, that uh, James Franklin had wanted them to have for all those years. I mean, it's it ceased to become a hype. But I think the rest of the games, I mean, they've got the ability. They they, they but it'll be uh, Iowa is one of the great questions. Will we see any improvement on offense? It seems to be hard to imagine it getting worse. So, um, yeah, I mean, the good thing is we play in the Big Ten West, so. Um, it, it, that's compared to the Big Ten East, it's not even close. So you always got to go through Ohio State and Michigan, no matter what. So and isn't this the last Anyways, season enough. for divisions, or are they drop? I I I think yeah, either this season or last, and then it's it's USC um, and UCLA join the party. <laughs> yeah, so that I don't know how the hell that's going to work. But <laughs> I don't think anyone does. They're just hoping all the money will make up for it. <laughs> yeah, yep. I'm, I'm sure that will. I'm sure they'll make yeah. it work. Well, Evan, thanks for joining us, man. It was great hearing from you. Yeah, thanks. All right, let's go ahead and let our friend, the Ole Miss fan, can't wait till football season. We're going to go ahead and let you up. I'd love to hear from you. Again, if you want to join the conversation, hit request. We'd love to hear from you. Lots of stuff to talk about. It's the off season. There's, but there's so much other things that are going on in college football. But you're up here. would love to hear from you. What's going on? Um, I have a question about uh, Oklahoma. Like, how, how I was looking at the ESPN rankings. How are they ten? So how, I'm sorry. So you're saying how are they how are they able to get ranked number ten? Is that was that the question? I'm sorry, I totally missed the beginning of that. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, well, it's a dis- disappointing year. It was a disappointing year. I think there's a couple of things that go into this because I mean, Brent Venables, yeah, it was his first year as head coach. So it didn't go quite how they planned, but there's all kinds of things you can point out. I mean, they lost two of their, their best players on the offense to USC. And, and obviously the reigning Heisman trophy winner is it left the, I mean, was with them. And then of course left the program to go join along with, um, along with uh, 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 Mario Williams and, uh, and again, with quarterback. They lost a few people in addition to other transfers. So I think some aspect of that is going in there. It's still Oklahoma. It's still a blue blood. They're still able to bring in some star recruiting talent. They've got, you know, quarterback like Jackson Arnold. They've got people like that coming into the program in addition to many others. So I think that aspect is, is going to is, – is part of what – it's a bit of a brand name thing, and a lot of these Blue Bloods will always kind of get that sort of bang for their buck. I think when you're looking at who, how the other teams are looking at and how their schedule is looking, there, there seems to be some decent scheduling for them. I mean, there's some quirks to it. I, I think everyone in the state of Oklahoma, as well as those kind of more sicko fans, are looking forward to seeing Oklahoma have to go play at Tulsa. Um, that'll be an interesting one. And then, of course, because this is still the Big 12, um, they haven't left for that SEC yet. We've got to play at the new folks, Cincinnati, 
and then they got to play at BYU again. <laughs> they're playing at the two two of the new uh, the new people that are joining the program, probably joining the conference, as well as they get to host UCF. So it's the season's going to be interesting in terms of the biggest challengers for them. It'll be interesting to see how that breaks down. I mean, Texas is. Uh, okay, I'm not going to say Texas is back because I curses Texas whenever anyone says that. But uh, Texas definitely looks like it could be strong. We're going to see how they do. So I think a lot of that goes into just Oklahoma. Now, if Oklahoma underperforms again, then I think we're going to see a little bit more of a downswing the following year. But I think that is just something that kind of comes with being a, a blue blood, being a program that can manage to uh, – to, to do so well. And I think, again, just given the, the quirks of, of that the change and losing Lincoln Riley, I mean, they started last season number nine, and then obviously they finished the season unranked, so now I guess they're starting just a slight step below that. Uh, I think it's just we're going to see how they do, but I think a lot of people just have faith in that, in that coaching staff that they can maybe turn it around and get them back into contention. But it's a good question. I mean, it's... It, I think every year we'll always talk about that whenever a team that is uh, has underperformed but has that name brand sort of gets ranked high again the next season. Uh, as a USC fan, I've seen that year after year, and I'm sure some of my friends over at Notre Dame can say the same thing. <laughs> sometimes it's nice to have a name people remember, but uh, sometimes that doesn't always translate on the field. But the good news is these preseason rankings ultimately become meaningless as the season wears on. So we'll see how that goes. Um, especially when you upset a team that is like preseason ranked really high and then they end up being a complete dumpster fire. So those are always the best ones. When some team absolutely celebrates like they their Ewoks that just defeated the Imperial Empire and then you find out, no, no, you, you really didn't. They were they were very anemic that season. So we'll see how that goes. Um, again, if you'd like to join the conversation, hit request. Otherwise, there's lots of other things to talk about in college football as we kind of Finish out this uh, this usual half hour show. We see here we actually had a couple of um, yeah. So one of the other interesting stories that kind of popped up is again things that we talked about the official visits, but let's see here. There's going to be potentially another college football team joining, and and I say this only because last couple of weeks we were talking about the the death of uh, Simon Fraser, the uh, one Division two team, actually the one NCAA team that is out in Canada. Due to realignment, they actually had to shut down their program because they weren't let into any conference, and it's hard to be an independent when you're literally across an international border. Their old conference imploded because a couple of teams dropped football, and then a couple of teams moved into different conferences. The remainder, except for them, were invited to the Lone Star Conference, which, as you can guess, is more centered in Texas. And the idea of having a team in Vancouver in the uh, conference, especially in Division Two, where it's all non-revenue, just wasn't going to work. So... That program had to shut down. But meanwhile, over in Salem, Virginia, and I'm specifying Salem, Virginia, because Roanoke College, which despite the name is located there, not in Roanoke, Virginia, is planning to bring back football for the first time since 1942. There is a small stadium there. Um, those folks who follow Division Three, at least for quite some time, know that actually they used to host the, uh, the D3 National Championship, the Stag Bowl, at the Salem football stadium for like, gosh, I want to say a little over 20 years. So they have a stadium there that works for D3. So good luck. We hope to see another team and maybe it'll be Roanoke College. So I just thought we'd, uh, we'd drop that out. What's their mascot again? Let's see. That would be the Maroons. So, oh, it's a color. Awesome. So it would be like uh, Chicago. 
Um, so we all love colors, you know. The I always joke that's what I mean when we talk about it because obviously Harvard's a crimson, uh, Chicago's a maroon, and then Stanford. Some of you may know the classic story. Stanford used to be the Indians, and back in the seventies, like the mid seventies, they decided, ah, we'll drop that. We'll come up with something. So they asked the student body to come up with a new mascot name. The student body had a vote, and they picked the awesomest name. It was the Robber Barons. Why would they name themselves the Robber Barons? It was a joke about the fact that the Stanford name was from such a kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, one of those industrial barons. So they thought, why don't we name the whole school after that? Well, in the, uh, the I guess, the regents or whatever they were equivalent, they took that name and they came back with a color, the Cardinal, because clearly Stanford just wanted to be more like Harvard or, or uh, Chicago at that time. So there you go. That's the story of, of how they became the Cardinal. Um, it's one of my favorite stories, and uh, we'll kind of continue on from there. But, you know, a couple of other topics, and maybe you'd want to chime in on these. We had a couple of popular discussions on RCFB this last week, one of which was kind of asking with Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF joining the Big 12, which teams become the new G5 powers in the near future? And by that, you know, reaching a New Year's Six Bowl, obviously, as the playoffs expand, would also mean reaching the playoffs. So I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts if you if you want to add to that. I mean, I know the person, the Hawkeye 10, who submitted it said that he sees Tulane building on their huge season and continuing to potentially be a force in the American. But hey, Thack, it seems like you want to join in. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it, I mean, to, the the Ameri- obviously we're looking to uh, powerhouses and, and some of the bigger group of five conferences like the American. Uh, Tulane is sort of the obvious answer, but uh, man, I'm really liking Marshall what they're what they're doing uh, recently, and and I think that you know of hypothetical teams to get a Big Twelve bid, I think Tulane's a little bit closer, but I I do like what Marshall's doing, and I think they're going to continue to build on on a couple of those key wins that they've had uh, over the next uh, next decade. Absolutely. And let's see here. Uh, uh, Quinshon is, uh, is him. Sorry, I, I always forget what to, to, to use it because can't wait till football season's always kind of awkward. But what are your thoughts on this topic? Um, uh, didn't North, uh, North, I like Boise, like always. Yeah, absolutely. I think Boise State, you can't really, I think sometimes they get forgotten a little bit because people sort of, um, I think they have what it takes. I think a lot of, actually a couple of folks in that that same post agreed with that. I'm looking at the post by uh, Johnny Madden, an Oregon State fan. He thinks Boise State absolutely has the tools to get back to national power with tail and green. And he also brings up Fresno because I think Fresno State, uh, I agree, Fresno State still has that ability to climb up. They had a decent season where they turned it around after kind of a, a, a wonky opening half of the season, mostly due to injuries. And they were able to finish it up with an LA bull win over Wazoo. So I think Fresno state's another one, especially with Tedford as that head coach. And he can, and, and even post Hayner, cause obviously they had that great quarterback there. Um, and you know, another one that, again, I love this, this, this guy's comment because Johnny Madden also brings up James Madison because they literally just had their first FBS season and they managed to win nine games and, and you know, cause some real problems in that Sun Belt. So uh, there's a real strong chance to see them kind of climb up because I, I'm always fascinated by James Madison. Some of you may remember they um, 
they got into this, they were very slow to join the FBS because they had offers thrown at them over the years and they would turn them down. Um, they, they, I believe before it was either conference USA or the Sunbelt, but like 10 years ago or a little less than 10 years ago, threw them an offer and they're like, no, we're not quite ready. We actually had their athletic director on a uh, RCFB talk during the season. We talked to them about that and they really had a very deliberate, slow, intentionally slow process of building that program into a state where they would be able to do just what they did this past season and jump into uh, jump right into a, uh, an FBS conference and cause problems and, and compete. So I think we're going to see them potentially keep growing from there too because as of the last um, kind of uh, conference realignment, at least on the G5 level, I really thought the impressive one was the Sun Belt. Because I remember, those of you who've been around college football long enough may remember when the Sun Belt started competing in FBS football around 2001. They were like a basket case conference for like the first five, six years. I mean, it was just like, well, I mean, their claim to fame was North Texas won the first conference title and went to the New Orleans Bowl with a losing record. That was back when going to a bowl with a losing record was like, how the hell did that happen? Like now we get it. There's so many bowls and, you know, they, they, when, when not everyone qualifies, they'll go with academic, you know, benefits, but they managed to lose all of their non-conference games. And that was back when it was an 11 game season. I should regular season. They managed to lose all of their non-conference games, lose, I believe two of their, uh, or maybe one of their conference games, but then win five conference games and win the Sun Belt and go to the New Orleans Bowl. So that was that was what the Sun Belt. That was the first impression they made as a conference when they first came up. But hey, you know, um, uh, can't wait to football season. I know you wanted to add something. What about Troy and South Alabama? Ooh, I like those two. Um, South Alabama's got something growing down there. I mean, they've been putting so much money in that program. I've been down to Mobile. I've seen. What they're doing there, that stadium is just absolutely is just gorgeous. And it's in a it's in a recruiting hotbed. Same with Troy. Troy is serious about football and then we they can they can occasionally make those sorts of wins. I know Thack mentioned Marshall too. I forgot to go back to that because Marshall is a, a strong program. I still remember the the years they were having, particularly um, when they were going undefeated. Uh, they had that one, what was that season? Was that ninety eight? Zach, help me here. I think you might know that off the top of your head. Awesome. Uh, it was late, late 90s, I think. If I could. Is it 97 or 98? God. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, another one, too, we're forgetting, man, is uh, talk about a perennial old powerhouse. Uh, the ponies, man, of SMU. There's, oh, absolutely. There's a lot yes. of money there. There's a, there's a yeah. lot of money there, and uh, I, I mean that that's that's a good logical next step if they could string together a couple of good seasons. Unfortunately, they've been getting kind of pushed towards mediocrity uh, when when you have uh, these stronger schools having some good seasons, and in, in the uh, the American uh, like UCF, uh, Houston, and um, and uh, Cincinnati and the like. And obviously, losing Sunny Dykes to TCU certainly didn't help either. <laughs> I mean, that was that was probably the most amazing part of it. Is like, wow. So if you just gave him slightly better weapons, he might be able to go to a national championship game. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, what is the internal conversation at SMU after that happened? I mean, not people. I don't think we hear about that quite as much. But you know what? It is about nine thirty right now. It's a little past, and we like to keep these nice and tight to about thirty minutes in the off season. I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping this up here. But every Tuesday night we have these conversations and we love hearing from you. Can this I is add this is UTSA. Pardon? UTSA. 
Oh yeah, UTSA absolutely. I think they that oh man, yes, that's a great one. That is absolutely a great call because what they're building over there and you know, they've had just two tremendous seasons and there's no sign that they're going to let up. So absolutely, we're big fans of UTSA and and what they've been building over there. On that note, I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping this up here. This was our CFB Talk 135. It's the off-season. We've been having these conversations. We look forward to doing these every Tuesday night and hearing from you. I just want to say I hope you all have a great rest of your week. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.